We'll hear argument next in case 07455, United States versus Rassam. General McCasey. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court, um, the question in this case is whether a panel of the Ninth Circuit is co- was correct when it added the words in relation to and thereby added an element to Section 844 of Title 18, and we think for at least four reasons the answer to that question is no. Uh, first and principally, those words are not in the statute that Congress wrote, and this Court has said many times that courts should not add words or elements to criminal statutes. Second, um, Congress knows how to include a relational element when it wants to, and in fact it did that in Section 924C, um, after which Section 844 is otherwise patterned. Um, that shows that when Congress chose to leave in relation to out of Section 844, um, it did that intentionally. Um, third, when Section 844 was amended in 1988, um, one Court of Appeals, the only Court of Appeals to rule directly on the question of whether there was to be a relationship between the carrying of explosives and the commission of a felony, um, had held that there was no relational element. Congress was on notice of that fact. And if it you, wanted but to your, include your argument relies on the notion that the word during in the statute is solely temporal. In other words, it just refers to the time. Correct. So uh, that's not always the case. Uh, if I say, uh, you know, I hung lights during the holiday season, you wouldn't think that I had hung a chandelier, right? There'd be not simply a temporal connection, but also, um, I don't know, a relation. In that instance, that would be correct. On the other hand, when Congress in, 19, in 924C said during and in relation to, um, it meant something more than a temporal relationship. It did not say the same thing in 844, and it failed to say the same thing in 844 after it amended 924C, um, which — General, could, could, could Congress pass a law that said uh, if you wear a wristwatch uh, during the commission of any crime, you get another 10 years? Um, a statute like that would be entirely unreasonable. It is not entirely unreasonable for Congress to have said, if you carry an explosive during the commission of a felony, you've added something enormously volatile. Surely it depends on what the felony is. If the felony is the filing of a, of a dishonest uh, tax return and, and you, you have a, a can of gasoline with you when you mail the letter, it seems to me quite as absurd as saying, uh, uh, wearing a, a, a wristwatch in the course of a felony. I, um, that, that's what troubles me about this. I, I'm, 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 I, I'm tempted to, I think everybody's tempted to distort the during to, uh, to mean something else simply because the, the consequences of performing a completely lawful act, wearing a wristwatch, carrying explosives, uh, given the broad definition of explosives, I guess it would include uh, having having some uh, cartridges, uh, explosive cartridges. It would, um, mm. but the temptation is perfectly or- lawful, and and you get another ten years for it just because you're you're mailing the letter to the IRS at the same time. It is perfectly lawful, and Congress was aware of that. 
Title 18, not to mention all the other titles, are chock-a-block with felonies. There are thousands of them out there. Um, but nonetheless, it wanted to make sure that the mainstream that it was concerned with, which is nicely illustrated by the facts of this case, was taken care of. Um, and so it passed a very broad statute. We can see that it was a very broad statute. Any felony couldn't be broader. Um, but that was Congress's choice. And if Congress chooses to amend the statute, respectfully, it ought to be Congress that amends it. General McCasey, is there any indication why this prosecutor chose to hook the carrying an explosive onto a false statement charge instead of some charges with, with which it would have been more logically linked, like the one, the first one, conspiracy to commit an act of terrorism? There is. Um, at the time the case was brought, um, there was evidence to charge the first count, conspiracy to commit a terrorist act. Um, there were some evidentiary problems. A great deal of the evidence to support that count did not, in fact, come until almost literally the eve of trial. A lot of it came from overseas. The count to which the the um, the 844, the, the crime to which 844 was in fact attached, the making of the false statement, was, to use a colloquialism, a lead pipe cinch. He had clearly made a, a false statement. He had clearly carried an explosive while doing it. That prosecutor decision, in fact, was a very responsible one, because what was shown when they opened his trunk was that this was a very dangerous person, and they wanted to bring a charge on which they were sure to convict him, um, so that his carrying of the explosive would get him 10 years in addition to that charge. I, I guess what's troubling me, uh, Mr. Attorney General, is that uh, it, it, it does seem to me fair enough to, to make that charge in this case. But then, we, but then we have the tremendous number of cases where the prosecutor is going to be in the position, uh, in a plea bargain context, say, uh, to threaten to charge this uh, offense with a heavy mandatory minimum. My understanding uh, is that uh, district judges do not and cannot be involved in plea bargain negotiations. They can look at a plea before it's entered. Um, what can you tell us about the safeguards that might exist in the system generally against, against overcharging, against charging where the result is, is, is close to absurd, as in some of these hypotheticals about the, the income tax return and the gasoline and so forth. The safeguard, um, the safeguard that's in the system, in part, involves the history of the system. Um, Rosenberg was decided, I believe, in 1986. That's 22 years ago. Um, there's been no, as far as I know, recorded outbreak of this sort of thing any place in the Third Circuit or any place else. And it seems to me that a defendant would be able to challenge that kind of threat, that kind of application, or at least make it known. Um, we haven't received any notification that that's, that that's going on, although there have been charges of under 844-H relating to ammunition. Um, but that's scarcely, that's scarcely a marginal case. Um, the, the hypothetical of the fellow with the, with, the, with the firecracker in his back pocket who is simultaneously in possession of a $20 counterfeit bill hasn't arisen. 
General, that's exactly my question would be the converse. Uh, suppose I agreed with you to this point, hypothetically, that of course there's a relationship here. In this case, there's a relationship. He wouldn't have lied if he, if he hadn't had the explosive. Suppose I accept that. Now, if I interpret the statute that way, there has to be a relationship including that. Then, what are the other cases you want to prosecute? In the other briefs, they, they, they list every funny or comical or absurd example they can find. And so I don't believe you want to prosecute those, but tell me if you do. And if, you, if there are some other ones, what are they? We don't. But respectfully, um, relationship doesn't mean in a statute what relationship means in conversation. Um, it means facilitation under not — it means that — Fine. So suppose, in other words, if we if, — if, 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 hypothetically, I were to say, well, here there's a relationship. After all, it's a necessary condition for the lying that he was carrying explosives, and it's foreseeable that he would lie on his passport because he was carrying explosives illegally. Uh, uh, so that's all you need. In other words, if, if that were the decision, that you would say, fine, that's the end of it. It was his carrying of explosives did not facilitate his lying in this case. No, it didn't facilitate it, but it caused it. Maybe it caused it, and maybe it didn't. There are — didn't All right. It, would you be satisfied with the result, says, look, if the carrying of explosives is related to the felony in the sense that it is a necessary condition and foreseeable that a person would do such a thing, that's sufficient? No, Your Honor, we would not, because there are cases in which it may become necessary uh, to prosecute somebody, for example, um, where we have a situation in which we can charge another crime, uh, but to charge that crime would involve disclosure of classified information, would disclose methods and sources. We believe that it was Congress's choice to leave to the judgment of prosecutors the decision of what crimes to charge in conjunction with possession of explosives, and we think that's where the authority should remain. Why is there in the statutes a difference between possession of explosives in this circumstance and possession of firearms? Possession of explosives inherently involves volatility. You asked for, for a policy explanation. Possession of explosives inherently involves a degree of volatility. Um, explosives cause indiscriminate and potentially vast harm. Firearms for all the harm they cause, cause discriminate harm. And there's every reason for Congress to have treated explosives differently from the way it treated firearms. Was, was the further explanation that, that what they were doing in amending the firearm statute was tailoring it more precisely to the possible felony by a police officer situation, and they simply did not face that possibility uh, in the explosives statute? I think the history of not the amendment to 924C reflects that. Yeah. So it's a difference in two respects. One is the 924C has the in relationship requirement, and it also has a, a shorter term. It's only one is five years and the other is ten years. Is that right? Yes, that's correct, Justice Ginsburg. And that underlines, I think, the dangerousness or Congress's perception of the dangerousness and the volatility of explosives. Um, certainly. 
Is there any — This case bears that out. Is there any policy limitation within the Department not to charge uh, under this provision unless there is a relationship between the underlying felony and the use of ex- — carrying of explosives? There's no policy limitation that I'm aware of. Uh, you do have policy guidelines with uh, money laundering. We do. Um, and I suppose if you thought there was a problem, you could, you could promulgate them uh, out of your department. I think uh, I'd be ideally suited to, to do that. <laughs> <laughs> the 10 years, though, is mandatory, correct? The 10 years is mandatory. So if the prosecutor asks for it and there is an underlying felony and there is an explosive, that's an additional 10 years no matter what? That's an additional 10 years no matter what. So if you get the underlying felony is, is of the sort Justice Scalia was talking about, and let's say the person gets probation on that because, you know, it's first offense, no harm, he still gets 10 years. He still gets 10 years. Um, it is possible, again, to imagine many, many marginal situations. But I think Congress was willing to contemplate that uh, because it wanted to make sure that it swept in um, the cases that had to be swept in. And to add a relational element would leave us unprotected against the cases um, that Congress wanted to include and protected only against the marginal ones. Well, but how many cases are there likely to be? This isn't one of them where you have no in relation to connection whatsoever. How many cases as a matter of common sense? Well, or any historical record that you're familiar with? No historical record that I'm familiar with, but I don't have complete knowledge of the historical record. I mean, in this case, as you point out, there was, of course, a connection. And I would have thought in most cases where the prosecutor is interested in charging, because, as you indicated, this case is, uh, there would be an actual connection. Now, you may have, as you suggest, problems of proof or, or evidence, but as a practical matter, I'm just wondering how often the question we're concerned about arises. I don't think I'm not aware of any other situation in which it's arisen, but I don't think I, I think Congress didn't want to rule out anything when it wrote any felony. This isn't a very good case. If you re- wanted to bring a really absurd case, you could have picked a better one than this because there really is something of a connection. I think I think the lesson to be learned, particularly by the history, is that we don't want to bring absurd cases, and, and we don't. So, but I mean, the interesting thing is that you're going the cases where this is going to arise is not where you're really worried about the explosives. It's going to because in that case, presumably, there's going to be a relation, and you can use it as you used in this case. The cases where this is going to be problematic is when you're really interested in the underlying felony. That you know, the guy who's driving in his car and calls his broker and is guilty of insider trading and has some firecrackers in the trunk. You're not worried about the firecrackers, but you want to really crack down on the insider trading. That has to do more with the breadth of the definition of explosives than it has to do with the question of a relationship, um, because we may very well be concerned with the person who um, is committing what sounds like an innocuous felony but carrying a load of explosives in his trunk. So reading in a relational requirement isn't going to solve the problem that's posed in what I think is Your Honor's hypothetical, which is the fact that firecrackers are as much explosives as bombs under the explosives definition contained in the statute.
If there are no further questions, I'd like to, Mr. Chief Justice, to reserve the remainder of my time for rebuttal. Thank you, Mr. Attorney General. Mr. Hillier. Mr. Chief Justice, and it may it please the Court. Senator <clears throat> McCasey put his finger on the point here when he said we wanted to charge a lead pipe cinch case, but in doing so, what we now have is what was a terrorism prosecution and a choice to link the underlying felony or to, to link the carrying explosives charge exclusively to count five of the indictment, which charged a false statement, an argument which uh, uh, requests that this Court apply this statute uh, uh, to all sorts of situations, theoretically, that might even involve explosives that were lawfully carried uh, during a completely unrelated felony. And I would disagree that that's what Congress thought. That's what Congress thought when it was uh, uh, creating this statute. Uh, the words in applying this Court's uh, statutory construction regime, regime, what we do, first of all, of course, is look to the words of the text uh, to see uh, if it means what the government suggests it does in this case. And as Chief Justice Roberts, you have already indicated uh, the word during has meanings beyond just that temporal one uh, used here, but also other words in the text have significance to uh, describing what the meaning of this particular statute is. And, and, and important among those are the terms in which, which is found in the concluding uh, sentence of the statute. And, of course, uh, uh, that the companion word, the largest word in this uh, particular statute, explosives, and, it, and its very uh, broad definition uh, under 844J. Uh, taking first the, the term in which, uh, which is at the conclusion of 844H. And I'll, I'll quote, and what it says is that uh, uh, the penalty that's going to attach to this prosecution shall run consecutively to, quote, the felony in which the explosive was used or carried. And you say it should have said during which. Right? Well, I, I, during the commission of which the explosive was used or carried. I, I just think that the words yeah. that, the, the words that were used, Your Honor, established the notion of a relationship between uh, the felony and the explosive. The word in is, as this Court indicated in uh, Dunn v. Commodity Futures Trading Commission 519 U.S. 465, is synonymous with the words in regard to or with respect to. Well, but just, just as during has more than temporal, uh, can have more than temporal significance. I think in can have temporal significance. It does, Your Honor. Lights in the holiday season. That's very true. And, in fact, it has a locational sort of significance also. But as noted in Dunn, its primary definition, its first definition, is this relational one. And and while it might have — I assume — I haven't looked at the dictionary, but Durings' first relationship, the first definition, I suspect, is is temporal. It's temporal. That's correct. Uh, Can you give an example where it's not temporal? An example of, of the use of during that is not temporal. I think the example posed by the Chief Justice or to, to the General McCasey is an example of that, Your Honor. But hanging up lights <coughs> during the during the holiday season doesn't—that's not a temporal relationship. But it's a—it is a temporal relationship, uh, but it's, it's a relationship between the act that's that's occurring, also that the underlying act. Uh, but but to get to the the point of the. 
Chief Justice Roberts' question, the fact that a word may have more than one meaning, particularly in this case, does not, not exclude the fact that the meaning of in which includes a relationship. And, and the most naturally suggested reading of these words, in this case, in which and explosives together, is that there is a relationship, that there Mr. is a, Mr. Hillier, I, you know, I, I will accept maybe more than just for the sake of argument that if you stick to the text alone, you, you, you've got an argument here for, for some uncertainty, for some ambiguity. The trouble that I have with your argument uh, is that we're here to consider not only text but statutory history. And the statutory history seems to me uh, pretty tough for you to get over. The statute was amended. The word unlawfully was dropped from it. Uh, and there was no amendment made uh, with respect to its cognate, uh, to, to conform it to the cognate section on carrying a gun uh, that's specified in relation to. And it seems to me that the most reasonable inference to draw from that statutory history is that when Congress amended uh, and technically reenacted the, the, the statute when it dropped unlawfully, that it did not want during to be read. Uh, as it was in the handgun statute in relation to. And I, that's, that seems to me the tough point of the argument. What is your response to that? Yes, Your Honor. T- uh, two points. First, uh, um, the, idea, the idea of in pari materia, which would uh, suggest that what's happening in 924C ought to be occurring in, in 844, is, has not the force that it would if we were talking about amendments to and constructions of the same statute, but rather what we have here are two statutes that are being t- interpreted by two legislators at different times to achieve different objects. And there's no reason to believe that, uh, well, I, the force of that. that well, the that, different object, I mean, the, the, the trouble with the different object argument is, as, as, uh, as the Attorney General said, uh, there, there was an evident concern uh, in amending the handgun statute uh, not to sweep in uh, the rogue police officer who happens to have a gun on him when he does something uh, that, in fact, is, is unlawful. Right. Uh, the, 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 the negative inference from that is that there was an intent uh, in, in, in the cognate explosive statute uh, to sweep in uh, people. Uh, whether, in fact, it was in relation to or not in relation to. Your Honor, I think it's... it's Including a policeman who had cartridges in his gun, presumably, right? (laughs) Well, Your Honor, I think the... the, When you're looking at what happened to 844, when unlawfully was taken out, the words in which were added, which uh, I think indicates that Congress had an appreciation of the relationship that's uh, involved in that statute, well, the legislative history doesn't say why unlawfully was taken out. Uh, it seems reasonable to, to believe that what they were trying to do was conform the statute to uh, the, the, the purpose of uh, uh, its purpose. And its purpose did include, when you look at the explosives definition, the use of lawful explosives to further crime. So if somebody has a can of gasoline and they want to use that, to, to threaten somebody and create a, a federal crime or to accomplish a federal crime before that amendment occurred, that, unlo- that, would, that, that would have been a lawful possession of the explosives, so 844-H2 would not have applied. Okay, so fair enough so far as the argument goes, but that still leaves Congress taking the uh, — sort of making it uh, as difficult as possible for you to take the position uh, that you're taking rather than as easy as possible. Why didn't it put in in relation to 
Well, the, the, but I think we go to yet another uh, statutory construction tool, or at least rec- uh, observation by this Court, that, that the Congress can use different words in different statutes to accomplish the it same It can do thing. it, but why would it have done so? You've got the, you've got the gun example sitting there, uh, and uh, why would it not have done so uh, if, in fact, it's so obvious uh, a thing to do if that's what it, if it intended to come out your way? Well, Your Honor, we don't know why it didn't do that, because the legislative history doesn't inform us. But but to draw an analogy from your question with respect to changes done in these two exact statutes, as you read from the government's reply brief, uh, it is trying to establish through the words during the commission of the fact that it is the defendant that committed that crime. In other words, it was he that did so. And we don't take any issue with that. In fact, it makes complete sense. But it's interesting to note that 924C in 1971 was amended uh, to, to put these to, — to substitute the words for which he may be prosecuted instead of which may be prosecuted. So one might ask, why didn't they put the word he into 844 at the same time if there is any question about who the perpetrator of the maybe because crime they're, was? Maybe because they're, they're trying to do — to draft legislation without using pronouns. (laughs) (laughs) Touche, Your Honor, yes. (laughs) I take it it that one of the reasons uh, you make your argument is so that if you prevail and you go back to trial, you would argue that this is not in relation to. Is that correct? Your Honor, Perhaps I didn't understand your question. If you could rephrase it. If you prevail in this case, and we say in relation to uh, is part of the statute. Yes. And then you go back to the trial court, I assume you would argue to the jury that the government can't show that it's in relation to. Well, Your Honor, if if you agree that there's a relation, if you agree with the Ninth Circuit in this case, then the case is over. Oh, that's right. I forgot the response. Yes, the government. Why should we agree with that? But it, it, it seems to me. To me, that in a prosecution, in this in this prosecution, uh, it might be somewhat difficult to establish in relation to. Well, it's, it would be difficult. I mean, for, because, uh, yeah. Even assuming the jury was properly instructed, etc. Et right, right. It, it picked its poison here. They don't have a relationship. The explosives were not used to. to All right, but doesn't that show the necessity for the very uh, interpretation the attorney general is arguing for here? It's just too difficult to establish, and it's well, very dangerous. Your Honor, if we can look at the facts of this case, I I would respectfully disagree. What what was done here was a charging decision which made that task impossible. The government could have simply charged this uh, count uh, with count one, and we wouldn't be here today because surely the explosives were carried for the purpose of uh, uh, accomplishing the act of terrorism that was charged in count one. Well, if there's an in-relationship requirement, why would it be necessary for the explosives to facilitate the false statement? Why wouldn't it be sufficient if the false statement facilitated the uh, the unlawful use of the explosive? So if we had a reverse sort of relationship. Well, Your Honor, two, two answers to that. First, it, uh, it, it's, it would be at odds with the structure of the statute. And if you look at the whole of uh, 844H, you see in H1 uh, the crime of using a, an explosive to, or an explosive to commit. 
uh, an underlying felony. And that is that sort of direct relationship that is carried forward in, in the language uh, of H-2. But secondly, uh, that language uh, or that sort of relationship has been interpreted by this Court in Smith as, uh, as acknowledged by the government in its briefing to mean the relationship that we're talking about. That's exactly what's bothering me. The, the issue in this case doesn't seem to, need to be these weird hypotheticals. Of course it requires a relationship, in my mind, but I don't see why the relationship couldn't be exactly the one Justice Alito was talking about. I mean, imagine a person has a car filled with explosives. He's going to blow something up. A policeman comes up. He shoots the policeman. The reason he shot the policeman was because he had his car packed with explosives. And if this, if this uh, uh, provision — I mean, I can't understand why this provision wouldn't be aimed directly at that kind of thing. Well, Your Honor, I, I can't say too much more than what I have. When you look at the statute — All right. Suppose you, I don't — You can say that it's not the question on which we granted certiorari. Well, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe, but I don't know that, that — you could say that. You could say that. The problem is I have to answer — I have to reach an answer that I believe should be sensible. So what should I do well, Your Honor, if I, I think that in shooting the policeman because he's going to catch the criminal filled with explosives is within this statute? And similarly, lying to a customs officer so he won't catch me when my car is filled with explosives is within the statute. Suppose I believe that. But I also think the statute is not meant to govern those odd hypotheticals that you've come up with. There has to be a relationship, but the one I described falls within the word relationship. Now, what do I do? Well, Your Honor, the, the relationship, if you look at the structure of the statute, surely H-1 does not describe that sort of relationship. H-2 is, is the next statute or the next subsection of that statute, and its purpose is simply to capture the, the same criminal objective here, that is to say, the marriage of explosives and uh, of felony. Well, I understand that argument, but right. suppose I don't accept the argument. Well, then what do I do in this case? That's what I'm asking. Well, I, I would ask the Court — well, I would think the Court would draw some uh, — an answer from Smith, which did describe the relationship contrary to, to, to the way Your Honor is doing. With respect to this case, it goes back to co- — it goes — wasn't instructed that way, and so it can't be uh, — this case still has to go back. What you think your on argument? this evidence, uh, on this record, that a jury, if it were instructed to, uh, that it had to find in relation to, uh, could return a conviction of guilty, including the in relation to? If, if this case had been instructed correctly. Right. If this case had been instructed according to your theory of the statute, uh, and on this record and on this evidence, could a jury have found your client guilty? No, Your Honor. Well, that's exactly why the Attorney General says he needs it. Yeah. Well, said yes, you're, you're, you got it anyway. Take your pardon, Your Honor. Could, could, could I ask you about the, the in which, the in which thing? It just, just occurred to me that that in which is in a very sloppy clause anyway because it says shall run concurrently with any other term of imprisonment, including that imposed for the felony in which the explosive was used or carried. What about the fire? It omits fire entirely, in which fire or the explosive, fire or 
the explosive was used or the explosive was carried. It's a pretty sloppy job down at the end of, uh, of, of H, isn't it? So I wouldn't put a whole lot of weight on the in which, given, given that the rest of it is so sloppy. Well, Your Honor, uh, it, the, the in which the point obviously was that it, 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 it strengthens and informs the relationship here to be more than the coincidental or temporal one the government. If you were being very precise, but whoever wrote that was obviously not being very precise because he left out fire entirely. I suppose that that, that goes to the idea that we shouldn't draw a lot of uh, uh, information from the amendments that were occurring on 924 when th- they weren't even looking at this statute and considering it uh, and its consequences to the changes in 844 or, or as having effect in 844. Here, and I, I would just simply conclude by indicating that the terms, as I think we agree, naturally suggest that there must be a relationship in the breadth of the term explosives uh, uh, includes a lot of lawful items that uh, uh, can be carried uh, if they were carried in, in a felony must be related to that felony if, uh, if you're going to have give 844 its effect and its purpose. Because when you look at the purpose of the Act and the way that they constructed it so carefully and thoughtfully in terms of uh, uh, the crimes that were, or, or the, the use of explosive, it, it applies only to the, that portion of the statute that involves illegal use of criminal, uh, uh, of explosives, and the combination of all of these uh, elements certainly gives force to our argument and tends to, to uh, rub, or, or tends to do the opposite to the government. And, and at, at the end of the day, if there's uh, anything to be said for the government's argument, then, then there is an ambiguity and it should be construed in favor of the defendant. And, uh, you know, just uh, a concluding point to answer Justice Kennedy's question, the government could have avoided all of this by simply charging this case uh, as it should have by linking count uh, nine with count one where the proof problem wouldn't have been a the only difference in the proof would have been there would have been no difference in the proof the only difference in the case would have been they would have submitted a different instruction your your friend indicated that this issue doesn't come up very often as a practical matter do you do you disagree with that well, Your Honor, no, I, I don't disagree with that, and I'm not sure why that is, but I think it's been alluded to by the Court already in its questioning. It could be that prosecutors simply recognize this to be a good plea bargaining chip, and it may be that other prosecutors understand that there's a relationship required. Thank you, Counsel. Mr. Attorney General, you have 14 minutes remaining. Um, I just wanted to make two brief points on rebuttal. First, um, Justice Breyer's question and, and position appears to read in a relational element that's also not in the statute, and our view is that that's something that should be done, if anybody, by, by Congress. Um, and secondly, that the respondent's reference to um, gasoline as an explosive, I think, is, is, a bit of a, is a bit of a reach. I don't think gasoline is generally regarded as an explosive unless it is prepared and processed and presented in a certain way uh, with in, in ways that are not present simply by carrying a, 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 a can of gasoline to help, a, to help out a friend who's run out of gas. Um, and maybe gunpowder doesn't, doesn't include the little bit that's in a, in a, in a cartridge either. You um, think it does? I, I think it does. Uh, Council, could I ask you, do you have an answer to your, your friend's point about the in which language? The in which, 
simply includes both, number one, the use, the actual use, and number two, the carrying. Um, I agree that it's not a model of elegant construction, but in which does include the two, um, both the actual use and the mere carrying. Well, I understood his point to be that it's surprising that they refer to use of the explosives or carrying of the explosives with reference to the underlying felony, in which the explo- it suggests that the explosive was used or carried with respect to the underlying felony. And I understood your position to be it doesn't have to be. No, I think it, I think it suggests simply that the underlying felony was, in fact, committed. Well, it was going to be, it was going to be inaccurate as to one or the other of one or two. If you said during, that would be, that would be inaccurate as to one. Uh, and uh, in is accurate as to one, but inaccurate as to two. I guess they should have said in or during or in which. Uh, would have been. They should have added fire, too. Right. <laughs> there are no further questions. Thank you, Mr. Attorney General. Thank you, Counsel. The case is submitted.